This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramia. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on air community, and everyone's invited. Welcome to the show. This is Kelly and Ramia. I'm Ramia Amadin in Toronto. Kelly McDonald's to join us shortly as we work out some of this troublesome tech, as always, falling on a Tuesday. And to kick things off on a Tuesday afternoon, I do want to remind you as we're single digits days away for the deadline of this contest. It's a fantastic chance to win. So the countdown is on. It's called the Dream Big Contest, and it closes February 8th. Enter for your chance to win a Temper Pro Adapt mattress. These luxurious mattresses, Tempur-Pedic mattresses, are designed with one-of-a-kind temper material to precisely adapt to your weight, your shape, your temperature, and it offers you unmatched support and comfort. For the complete rules and how to enter all the above, go to ami.ca slash krcontest, and that's when you get all of it. Now, if you want to do your own Googling, get some of those testimonials. You can Google temper, T-E-M-P-U-R, pedic mattresses. All right. Let's get to what's coming up on today's edition of Kelly and Ramia. Proximity and transparency is a food trend for 2023. One of, because, you know, it is still January. We got lots more of 2023. But we're going to talk more about this and other trends with Julia Caranches, our nutritionist. That's right. We love it when she gets into food convos with us. Also, we're meeting social media influencer Mara Hutchinson. And she is going to talk about her content because she's, of course, a social media influencer. But also, she's had some time on AMI-tv's We Are One. That was a while ago when that show aired, so we'll find out more about her experience on that. We have our book club because it's the last Tuesday of the month that happens to fall on the last day of the month. But we're reviewing Misery by Stephen King. It's a classic, I think, with technical producer for AMI-audio, Jacob Szymanski. And that's later on in the second hour of Kelly and Ramia. Okay, moving on to some messages and content that we found on the Canadian press. A new report says... Ontario job seekers are continually, increasingly looking for work in other provinces. The job search company Indeed says in the second half of 2022, 6.1% of clicks on Canadian job postings by Ontario-based job seekers were for positions in other provinces. That's an almost 50% increase from the second half of 2019, before the COVID-19 pandemic upended the labour market. The outbound interest from Ontario is especially peaked for those seeking jobs in remote, friendly sectors like tech and marketing. Indeed says this trend highlights the pandemic effect on remote work, which has expanded the geographic scope of white-collar job searches. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press. Interesting uh, update on stats here. Now, I am one to have worked from home remotely during the pandemic. It started there. It continued on for several years. So if people are in similar circumstances, you know, you can understand that you start to venture out. Maybe it's your current job that you'll stick to, but move out of uh, your where you were living before. Or maybe you're actually thinking of 
finding new jobs, finding new positions, finding new areas of work that will allow you this, well, it used to be luxury, maybe now kind of the norm of finding a job that lets you work remotely. And I am curious, you know, because at the end of the clip, we heard white collar jobs. So I'm curious about how many people this affects, how many this is realistic for. Not everybody, obviously, some circumstances, some industries altogether, work situations don't allow you to work from home. And there's the the medium, right? The some days I can work from home, some days not so much. We'll see what happens. But it is fascinating to think that a lot of people are able to move completely away. I'm a little bit of a chicken. I don't think that I'd <laughs> move out of Ontario. You know, moving out of Toronto may be one thing, but moving out of Ontario and and starting over in a in a whole new circumstance, in a whole new location, a whole new way of life feels like a lot. But work is one of the biggest parts of this consideration. So if work is remote, then maybe that's okay. One other thing I wanted to wrap up this segment with, it seems a fair question to ask the creator of a show about ghost hunters if he's ever seen a ghost. Lockwood and Company creator, director uh, Josh Cohen says that he's never seen a ghost, he thinks. The thing is, maybe you've seen a ghost, but you don't know it. Okay. Whenever mm. you encounter anybody, sometimes ghost stories go in that way that you meet yeah. someone and then the next day they go, you met who? But she died two weeks ago. So you never know who might be a ghost. Uh, Joel Cornish is the creator-director, my bad. And <laughs> Lockwood and Company is streaming now on Netflix, so you can check it out for yourself. But I don't know, isn't it kind of ironic that the, the person who is kind of involved in the show, putting the whole thing together, is not necessarily giving us a straight answer on whether or not he's seen a ghost? This seems like dodging the question to me, but hey, I'm not even one of the skeptical ones. So can you imagine all the people trying to ridicule this show? Such a good point to pick up on. Taking a quick break, we're going to be coming back with more of Kelly and Remy. Of course, we're here until 4 p.m. Eastern time with all that fun Tuesday content. One of the discussions we're getting into, it's not so fun, but very important. Danielle Jeankind, our veterinarian, is discussing cancer in pets. What are the options for treatment? What new research is being done and looked into right now? Uh, we're going to learn more about this with Danielle Jeankind right after the break here on Kelly and Remy. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Welcome back. We're just getting things started here on Kelly and Ramya. I'm Ramya Amuthan in Toronto. Kelly McDonald is back with us in London, Ontario. Hey, Kells. Hi, Rum. Sorry about that. You know, things just run askew sometimes, but it's oh, great yeah. to be back. Yes, and you came back nice and early because we still got so much to get to, and I'm sure you are going to have tons to weigh in on as well. Let's bring in our veterinarian, Danielle Jeankind, as we usually do on Tuesdays. Whether they provide us with companionship and income, food, or serve a critical role in the ecosystems that support us, animals are vital to human health. Have fun with us as we learn about animal-related topics and about the amazing bond we share with our animal friends. Now, Danielle, we love having fun with you here on the show, but you also bring in difficult conversations to inform us about things that are going on, um, and especially when things that, you know, hit us 
in the emotion, right? So there's a word that every pet parent uh, dreads to hear from their veterinarian, and that word is cancer. Um, if that diagnosis comes out, we want to find out if it's automatically bad news or not. You know, how veterinarians can tell if it's the good cancer, the bad cancer, what that even means, and what the options are out there for treatment, if at all, and if there's anything new coming down from the world of research that holds promise for the future when it comes to cancer in our pets. We want to find out about all this. So, Danielle, let's start with what a pet owner might notice at home if their pet has cancer. Well, you know, that it's kind of a hard question to answer, you know, because um, cancer is basically a disease caused by um, cells not listening to the body's rules, you know. So to kind of use an analogy, you know, these cells have kind of gone rogue. They've um, either stopped doing their jobs or they're doing their jobs much more efficiently than they should be, you know. Um, and they're probably dividing at a rate where they're using up resources and crowding out the normally functioning cells the body needs to keep living. And, you know, which body cells decide to go rogue and what they decide to keep doing or not doing kind of determines mm -hmm. the symptoms that the pet will show us. So, you know, sometimes, you know, a, a tumor might just take up space, you know, and you might find a mass or a lump. Um, other times it, take up, it takes up space that a vital organ needs on the inside, like a lung, a liver, a kidney, for example. And then, of course, the function of that displaced organ begins to decline, you know, and the symptoms are related to that. So things you might see in that case might be drinking and peeing more than usual, um, vomiting, diarrhea, coughing, maybe fluid accumulation in body cavities. Um, sometimes, you know, these tumor cells will keep some of the function of the healthy cells and produce too much of what those cells were supposed to make. And that can cause symptoms too. So, you know, an example would be um, thyroid tumors sometimes do that and tumors of the pituitary gland. So, you know, there's really no one-size-fits-all set of symptoms that point specifically to cancer. So it's one of those things, you know, if you think there's something wrong, definitely you should get it checked out. I'm curious because it sounds to me like cancer is not easy to diagnose in every case. How do vets find it, Danielle? Well, Kelly, you know, you're right. You know, cancer certainly isn't always easy to diagnose, especially early in the disease process when, you know, any sort of tumors can be hard to find. Um, there are, however, certain situations which increase our suspicions, you know, for that kind of a diagnosis. So, of course, it's often much more common in older pets, not that young pets can't get cancer, but it's less likely. Um, I also become more concerned about it if I have a pet with unexplained weight loss for which we can't find another cause, you know, especially if it seems to be more gradual. Um, certain metabolic conditions like diabetes and kidney disease, you know, are more common causes for weight loss than cancer. Um, for this reason, you know, diagnosing it often involves ruling out other conditions first. So, you know, all of the tools we employ for diagnosing other diseases can help vets find tumors in pets. So, um, you know, we kind of need to get that history of the illness first. Um, of course, cancer is higher on my list of what it could be with an older pet, especially one with vague symptoms that are kind of slowly progressing. Um, the physical exam might be revealing as well. So, you know, your vet's going to check for lumps and bumps. They're going to check for lymph nodes, listen to the chest for heart murmurs and increased lung sounds. Um, muscle wasting or lameness might also be found on an exam in pets with cancer, so we're going to check all those things. Um, diagnostic testing, of course, can also be helpful. So, 
you know, people often ask me, you know, is there a blood test for this? You know, and I'm like, well, no, like routine blood tests rarely definitively find cancer, but they're useful to tell us where to look for it and to assess the pet's overall health. So evidence for cancers of the kidneys, prostate, and bladder might be found on urine tests. Um, X-ray is good for finding bone cancer and tumors and organs will sometimes show up on those too. Um, similarly, ultrasound, you know, can be useful to find smaller and subtler changes in organs that could indicate tumors. And of course, once there's a suspicion of cancer, you know, more advanced diagnostics may be recommended. So um, advanced imaging like endoscopy, CT scans, or MRI, and biopsies or fine needle aspirates may also be recommended. And that's where we take little pieces of the tumor out and examine them under a microscope. And you know, that can give your vet valuable information about the tumor and help determine what is the best way to go forward from there. Okay. Danielle, are there treatments available for cancer in pets? You know, there are a lot of options these days for cancer treatment for pets. Um, and of course, you know, palliative care is important no matter what other interventions, you know, are planned. So palliative care just means that, you know, we're doing what we can to preserve the pet's quality of life for as long as possible. And, you know, that might involve pain management. It might involve nutritional support. It might involve medications to reduce symptoms like nausea. And, you know, it might also include modifications to the home environment and care practices, you know, to help keep the pet more comfortable. Um, specific treatments for cancer, of course, are recommended depending on the type of tumor and its location. So, for instance, sometimes surgery is helpful, and in some cases it might even be curative if the entire tumor can be removed. Um, surgery can also be done sometimes for palliative reasons or as part of a larger strategy for managing the disease. So a good example would be what we call debulking a tumor, which is removing most of it surgically and using another therapy to deal with the microscopic pieces of it that we know are left behind. So things like chemotherapy or radiation treatments. Um, the goal of treatment um, is to improve or maintain quality of life and hopefully to improve longevity. And it's important to realize this when you're trying to make decisions about cancer care in pets because people often assume chemotherapy is going to make their pets miserable because of the experiences they've had with human medicine. Um, but really, there's no point to sacrificing quality of life for longevity in pets. So, you know, that's always taken into account, you know, when um, vets are providing you the treatment options. Yeah, I've had that with friends that are in the situation with cancer and with other uh, illnesses with their pets. And, and of course, that's what they, they always say, I wish she or he could tell me what to do. And I think that this is a very good guide as to, you know, think of that, that quality of life and everything that comes with it. But do people turn to alternative medicine at all, Danielle? Is it used at all in cancer therapy? The problem with alternative medicines is that there doesn't always seem to be enough research done on a lot of the available modalities to really conclude whether it helps one way or the other. And, you know, right. when I search through the studies, you know, done on this, the conclusion is usually maybe, but more research is needed. So, you know, like, I think if you want to investigate alternative therapies for your pet, you know, I'd recommend that you know, you go to see a licensed veterinarian who practices alternative medicine and kind of stay away from Dr. Google. 
Um, the other thing I'd recommend is to let any vets practicing traditional medicine on your pet know what, if anything, you're doing outside of their scope of practice. So, you know, um, some herbal therapies and alternative therapies can interact with traditional medications and therapies. And, you know, for your pet safety and to make sure they have the best chance possible of avoiding side effects, um, you know, your vet will want to know if your pet's given anything they didn't prescribe. You know, sometimes people are embarrassed to tell their vets about this stuff, but really you don't need to be, you know, we know this stuff goes on. Yes. We just yeah. want to help you out. Yeah. Yeah. You can probably yeah. find out and anyways. It's yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we can research, even if it's not something we don't usually do, you know, we can certainly research, we can find out, you know, we just need to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Danielle, you mentioned, um, you know, finding a registered vet, even if you are dealing with alternative medicine. Is it your regular vet that deals with all aspects of cancer treatment? Not necessarily. Um, some of the more advanced cancer treatments and diagnostics require special equipment and special training. For example, MRI machines just won't be found in most veterinary hospitals. Right. And you know, even therapies that don't require much special equipment, like chemotherapy, for example, can be complicated to manage. You know, you need to be really careful about the dosing and the monitoring to achieve the best possible results while avoiding the side effects. So, unless a veterinarian handles these types of cases a lot, they might decide that the pet is better served by seeking a veterinary oncologist to manage the treatment. So, you know, that may be something that your vet might recommend for your pet. Um, similarly, some surgeries are best done by surgery specialists, you know, mm -hmm. so generally your vet will sort of decide, you know, who can best handle this case, you know, and if they feel that a specialist referral is the best option, they'll recommend that. And, you know, as a client, you can always request an oncology referral if you'd like to have your pet seen by an animal cancer specialist, and your vet can certainly provide you with one at your request. There's no problem there. Danielle, is there anything new with cancer treatment in pets that might be coming down and into practice eventually? Well, it's always hard to, to know what's going to actually make it out of academia and research and into the, the vet hospital on the street, you know. But um, I did come across one thing when I was, you know, looking into, like, cool stuff for this segment. And um, a lady by the name of Dr. Michelle Oblak at the Ontario Veterinary College was looking into a really neat new therapy. So it actually involves injecting special um, particles called porphosomes into the blood. And these little molecules kind of circulate around and they get lodged selectively in tumor tissue. And what they do is they kind of hang out there, but you know, not really without a purpose. So they actually fluoresce under certain wavelengths of light. So they light up where exactly the cancer cells are. And of course, that's helpful for finding them and looking for them. But even more helpful is that these porphosomes make the cancer cells more susceptible to damage from light. So by aiming a special laser beam at them, it destroys the cells, which helps to eradicate the tumor. And personally, I think this is incredible. You know, mm -hmm. one, one of the big problems with surgery is how invasive it is, you know, and it's pretty amazing to think that if they can get this technique working and find out which tumor it works for and what it can't, what it can and can't do, you know, in theory, they could be destroying tumors with an injection followed by a precisely targeted labor, laser beam. And, um, you know, that seems to me like it would be a lot more, you know, comfortable and, you know, less problems and less side effects, yeah. less recovery time. I mean, I can't think uh, of any other, yeah. you know, great things. So 
you know, if you want to learn more, you know, you can read about it on the University of Guelph's um, UG news page. But uh, it is uh, pretty cool and pretty exciting stuff. I'm, you know, throughout this segment, I kept my head kept going back to the first thing you mentioned, which is, which is palliative care. And the second thing you mentioned, which is, you know, quality of life and in and around that realm of things. But this is such exciting research. And um, even just the comparison, you know, of, of cancer in pets versus cancer in humans and, and how much research there always is being done, uh, you know, and we're being updated all the time with great ideas and, and things that are in the works. Yeah, and they're doing a lot of um, overlap between um, human and yeah. medicine too, which is actually pretty exciting because that's what I was thinking. Cancer, animals get cancer, you know. So why not combine all that knowledge, you know? Because some of it, some of it is useful to both mm -hmm. sides. Uh, yeah, when you talk about the lights, for example, like the lighting and what it does and breaking it down or affecting, sounds tremendous and hopeful on both accounts. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think some of this stuff is very exciting if they can get it up and working and all that kind of stuff. I think um, it's it's uh, pretty amazing what they're looking into and what they can do. And you know, I hope this kind of stuff becomes available before my career is over. <laughs> For real, you know, very excited about it. <laughs> yeah, because in terms of what you do, you know, going back to the intro of the segment, breaking that news for people is. It never gets easier. Danielle, as always, you bring us such insightful conversation and uh, information to keep in mind as well. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Ben. Danielle Johnkind is our veterinarian. She joins us weekly on Kelly and Ramya at this time on Tuesdays. And after the break, we're joined by a bi-weekly contributor. Our uh, nutritionist, Julia Caranches, is here to talk about trends, food trends of 2023, and one of them being proximity and transparency. We'll be back to talk about that. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. describe today as frigid okay oh, the no, day itself. Uh, yes it's a frigid day I, I think that like other people in other parts of even Ontario might say no no what you're describing is not frigid but in Toronto in my temperature gauge today is a cold day now the sun's out so so it in the center of the universe you mean yeah 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 obviously toronto <laughs> so yeah. the sun's right. out so it is nicer that way like it, it's more pleasant because it's light outside but it's so cold kels you know a couple seconds without your mitts on to do whatever you know tell siri doesn't work you have to move your airpods along um mm. manually and My your hands goodness, feel those it. world problems honestly yeah Keep but your hats on, keep your you. scarves on, and make sure Siri's working. That's what I say. Let me help you here, though. Take yourself back. Just go not to way back uh, to snow last week and before Christmas. A big blizzard. Yeah. And how you felt traveling then. But it wasn't that cold. Then. But you had to travel. Take your gloves off yes, to check yes. to do things with your phone. Right, Get right. your hands sure. wet if you dropped your can okay. or the snow on your hand and the wind blow on. Uh -huh. So it's cold. But it wasn't uh -huh. frigid. Today's different. Today's cold. Sun's out. Hey, Mr. Son. Nonetheless, <laughs> you know, tweet us. 
Let me know I'm right. I'm just uh, letting you know how it is. It's cold in Toronto. I'm Rummy Amazon. Uh huh. Thank you. I'm Rummy Amazon in Toronto, where it's frigid, and Kelly McDonald joins us from London, Ontario. Where it's even more frigid. Um, folks, it? every other Tuesday, of course, it's London versus Toronto, of All course. Right. Always a degree or so. Every other Tuesday, we're joined by nutritionist Julia Carantis. Hi, I'm Julia Carantis. Join me on Kelly and Ramya as we dive into the wonderful world of nutrition and wellness with tips to stay healthy and live a vibrant lifestyle. And always wonderful to have you back on the show with us, Julia. Hope you're well. And um, I, I know, I know, a, l- a little frigid too. I am frigid. I just came <laughs> from outside 15 minutes ago. My hands are still freezing. See? Wow. I have a, 15 minutes I have a ago. I in my office. That's... Oh, my goodness. Yeah. What? Well, a heater. A heater oh, yeah. A yeah, no, today's definitely heater day. Extra heater day. It's heater day. Yeah. Um. Is it for you when your hands get cold, your top of your head, your feet? You know, so we all have, for me, it's my feet. If my feet get cold, the, the, I'm done. True. Oh, yeah. Like, I can't sleep. I can't be happy if my feet are cold. I will be a bit crusty <laughs> if my feet are cold. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, let's talk about stuff that makes all of us happy. Uh, what do you got on the docket today for us when we talk nutrition and food, particularly today? I have what I think is a bit of an interesting topic because we don't really talk about these things, but we're going to talk about trends, food trends for 2023. Um, You know, I was doing some brainstorming for this week's topic and I turned to Google for help and typed in food trends. Usually I type in other buzzwords that I have personal interest in. For some reason, I typed in food trends and a bunch of articles popped up popped up discussing food and drink trends for 2023. And I found some of them really interesting and I thought maybe our audience would too. So um, I thought we would jump into that today. That's nice. Well, and we've, we've had some very interesting conversations with Mary Mammoliti uh, during our food segment on Thursdays with trends and including the mocktails and stuff. We were speaking about even that yesterday on the show. So when you did your looking, your research, give us some examples of what a food trend would be. Yes. Okay. Uh, it's so interesting about that mocktail situation. I was just at like a health expo back in September and I saw mocktails everywhere. Yep. Everybody had one. And I thought that was interesting. So that's interesting. It was a trend. It wasn't one that I found. So one of the ones that I found was proximity and transparency. So for 2023, mm-hmm. people are wanting to know where their food is coming from, how it was packaged, the process that it took to get to you know, the point of consumer consumption, how I'm going to consume it. And this resonated with me because we've talked about sustainability a lot on, you know, with past Uh, segments. It's interesting, Julia, because I always find, and this is kind of what, with you mentioning that, um, it feels to me that when we come up with, this is the trend for this year, really, it was a trend really a year and a half or two years ago. Yes, yes. I feel like this a lot too when I, you know, especially just having been in the holistic world for so long with people discovering things like apple cider vinegar and coconut Mm. oil. And these are things that, you know, like I was all very privileged to learn about, you know, 15, 16 years ago. And now 
they're a lot more mainstream. And so, you know, all these, I, you know, hopefully a lot of these trends will become more mainstream. But yeah, so we talked about sustainability. So people are now wanting to be more aware of where their food is coming from. And the, like I said, the prep work involved. Um, and then also the impact that that is having on the environment. And so looking past more of like deeper than what's on the shelf. How did it get there? Or how did it get to even my plate? And so that I thought was interesting because we've talked about those sorts of things so many times. Yep. And I think that's really important. And these are still broad strokes, right? When we're talking yeah. proximity, sustainability, uh, transparency, where are food's coming from? You know, some of us, it says like the direct way to take part is say, look at our labels, look at our ingredients is, um, is it organic? Is it not organic? And then for others of us, we're going deeper in and saying, do I want to buy this from a grocery store? Do I want to support right. local by doing this or that? So absolutely right. still a spectrum of responses to that, but we'll keep moving. There's another trend that you want to talk about. I do. I want to talk about inflation and not that this is like a, a trend that we all want to jump on, mm -mm. you know, hey, inflation, but um, food prices have gone up and they seem to be going up. And it's because of this trend that uh, like it's causing the result of this is causing people to be more thoughtful and innovative in the kitchen, which I found really interesting. So looking at how you can use non-perishable food items more creatively or lower cost food items more creatively in the kitchen. And so, you know, if you if you're somebody that's already doing this, then you know you're on trend. But yeah, looking at foods that maybe you didn't used to purchase before, but you're now purchasing because they are non-perishable or they're at a lower cost and it's causing you to be more adventurous in the mm. kitchen. Mm, kind of reminds me of the Great Depression. People still yeah. had to yeah, be creative because yeah, yeah. it was the only way to deal when you couldn't yes. afford the food. I'm not going to say, it, it, you know, this is a direct comparison, but just there are some parallels. The, I agree. I agree. And I think it's it's forced in a positive way variety. I mean, yeah. personally speaking, we didn't eat cabbage in my house growing up just because, I mean, for no reason. It just, you know, you get in a habit as, as everybody does in their household of buying 15 foods all the time so except for the odd coleslaw we didn't really use cabbage and now i find that i have started finding recipes that involve cabbage because it is very cheap yeah and lettuce is absolutely on the other end absolutely yes exactly and so i can speak to this trend personally because i've seen myself evolve and not you know as a just as a direct result of the inflation is I, i'm not going in and buying those same fruits and vegetables i'm paying attention to what's on sale or why it's on sale and yeah. i i am going the more economical route and it's forced me to increase the variety of you know the cuisine that i'm eating because of it and i i actually really enjoy it and i welcome that change but it did make me think about you know my my buying habits yep yeah. Also multi-purpose, right? Like if you, like you said, the cabbage today, you have it with, with fish, meat or something like that. Right. And the leftover, maybe you're making into coleslaw for tomorrow or the next day, right? You are now lengthening. And when you make those purchases, you go, well, you know what? If I buy enough of this, I can get two or three meals doing it this way without eating the same thing and getting tired of it. Absolutely. Um, and it also might force you to try new dishes. I mean, that's I right. found one recipe that I really like with the cabbage, but obviously I don't want to keep eating it all the time. And so it's, <laughs> you know, and the cabbage, you know, a head of cabbage is quite huge. I mean, it yeah, really, no kidding. It, it will last <laughs> you, which is great, 
Um, but I don't want to keep eating the same soup, even though I do find it quite delicious and obviously very yeah. appropriate for food days like today. But, you know, you want to start looking at how you could incorporate it in other cuisine. So I think mm. that it's, you know, it's super positive, yeah. all these things that are coming from. Well, and the variety is good. You don't want to put yourself off of it. And I think you're right that from the inflation, it really does. And as Ramya pointed out, it is like that time when people had to make food go a long way. Yeah. So that is really interesting. And really, it could really help with that variety in our, our diet. But because of just the way people are about things. Now, you've got one more trend for us uh, for 2023. Yeah. So there was definitely a couple of trends, but these are the ones that I thought you know, that resonated with me, that really spoke to me. And this mm -hmm. one we could probably do, and I think, I don't even, I don't think we've done one, but we should. We could do a whole segment on, and that's mushrooms. Yes. Yeah. Second Let's do a whole segment on it. We should do a whole segment. Okay, well, now we know what the next topic is. So <laughs> the the trend was using mushrooms as the main feature, right, as the main yep. event, and that's going to continue. So we're going to continue to see mushrooms be the star of the show, which makes a lot of sense um, because, you know, they're at a lower cost. They have a low environmental impact. So we're following, you know, the rest of the trends and yep. that, you know, mm -hmm. sustainability aspect of it. And yep, the advisement. Right, right. And I don't know that much about the environmental impact that mushrooms have. I really never dove into it. So it's definitely something to explore. But yeah, mushrooms are going to continue to be a star feature that we'll we'll yeah. see more of. So you might, you know, you might be eating some more mushrooms. Right. And well, there's, it... a, there's different types, right? And different things you oh, can do. Like there's so much to mushrooms. But I love that environmental thing now because we are hearing more about what's it take to harvest or what impact yeah. is getting that having whether you know it's it's mushrooms or or lettuce or anything um what impact does it have on the environment from cattle to chickens to vegetables and i think that is something important if we're going to sit here and say well we need to be better with the environment well there's so many other areas that we can say hey if we're yeah. utilizing more we're doing less impact on that environment yes absolutely there's a lot of um chatter out there about the the effects that the cattle industry has on the environment and natural resources and water consumption in order to raise the cattle. Um, so having something like a mushroom, like a portobello mushroom would, you know, be, a, I don't want to say a great alternative because nutritionally we know that they are very different, but maybe a nice occasional alternative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we know that it's a trend for, uh... <laughs> Hopefully it's more than a trend, but at the moment it yes. feels like a trend that people are eating vegan, uh, trying yes. out meat alternatives, you know, going that route for protein and not just protein, but things that don't make you miss meat, right? And I find that mushrooms yes. is a great, it's a great um, alternative to meat or it, filler. Filler doesn't sound great, but you know what I mean? You yeah, can add more mushrooms and less meat. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. A substitute. I mean, instead of right. having a hamburger patty, you could have a grilled portobello mushroom yeah for example yep. yeah or in it's your a sauce add mushroom even if you and less do. of the ground meat, right. you know? mm -hmm. yeah yeah so you're having a smaller portion of meat because you're having these other that's right meatier yeah. things on the side because like the mushroom has a meatier texture i mean yes. it doesn't have the texture oh, of ground beef that's, but what my has... that's what my family use vegetables for yeah that's <laughs> meat we have to put out yeah yeah you know fill up yeah, on the vegetables you know, we, we want to when you don't want to 
take a food out and not replace it. And so if you're going to take out a piece of meat or a steak, you know, you want to look at what you're replacing it mm-hmm. with. And I know there's, there's cauliflower steaks are also a thing. Um, so maybe we'll see that as a growing trend too. Who knows? Cause we also have, see a lot of the, um, instead of, you know, chicken tenders, we see now those breaded cauliflower bites. Got to hear yep. from uh, a convert yep. Yep. on those. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, and, yeah. and Julia, I, I'm not as much on that replace discussion as much as let's reduce it a bit and compliment. Yes. And compliment, <laughs> Thanks. absolutely. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Julia. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Wonderful topic, and we'll get on the benefits and all you need to know about mushrooms soon. Mm-hmm. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Join Julia Karanches for our nutrition talks opposite our, our wellness talks with Francis Wong uh, every couple of weeks here on the program. I don't know how much we'll have left about mushrooms. We spent half this episode on that anyways, but I love mushrooms, so I'm totally in. Uh, Taking a break, coming back with Mara Hutchinson. She's a social media influencer. She was also on AMI's We Are One. We'll be back with that conversation. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Kelly and Ramya here on AMI. Thanks for joining us via AMI-tv, AMI-audio. We love having you here until 4 p.m. Eastern time, giving you a variety of topics and discussions on the show as we move right along. Okay, so we're going to find out more about the power of social media. And I know that this is not always a positive or optimistic conversation, but we're not going to get into any of the... um, scary stuff on social that you may or may not be aware of. Let's talk about some of the great, fantastic ways that we can use social to educate, advocate, and just connect with people. Mara Hutchinson has been doing just that. She's a social media influencer, and she's here to talk about her platform, how she uses it, and also we're throwing in a little bit of content on AMI's We Are One that she was a part of. Mara, welcome to Kelly and Ramia. Hi. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited. It's so nice to have you on the show. And uh, I want to talk to you about your social media, of course, and what you're presently up to. But if people are recognizing you from AMI's We Are One, can you tell us a little bit about that show and your experience on it? Oh, my God. Um, That show was actually taken last year around this, no, around March last year. Mm -hmm. And I never, first of all, I didn't even realize filming the whole weekend would be that way. But it was such an amazing experience to just kind of capture my daily life and from morning till afternoon and with my family. So it was nice to kind of share a little bit of what life is like being legally blind and being a mom and a wife and just a woman in general. And, you know, it was it was such a fun time being with, you know, with all of you guys. We Are One was such a special project to me and yeah oh there yeah such a special project and i loved every minute of it so how did your family feel being incorporated and everything like that and and that must have been special like you say for you but for them too well the funny thing is when i'm doing stuff on my regular um camera my son um mateo mateo bronx he he would love he actually loves being in front of the camera but for some Uh reason all the big cameras and lights and everything came at the house he was so scared nervous Aww. a but little I guess stage it can fright. be intimidating yeah 
But um, <laughs> overall, like it was nice. It was nice to have them be part of this amazing project. Yeah, that's tremendous. Now, Ramya mentioned about getting into the social media stuff, so we should kind of get a little bit of that out of you in the direction we're talking about because you've got quite the social media following with over 30,000 followers on Instagram. Can you take us back as to the beginnings and how you got started on that platform? Oh, my God. It's always a funny story. Um, is Way, way before Instagram became so big, I found out about the actual app because of trying to edit my photos to <laughs> post on Facebook. Nice. And, you know, I'm just posting away and all of a sudden people were connecting with me and saying, oh my gosh, I use the same thing, which is your white cane. And it it's so amazing to see somebody like this using it as well. And... From there, just trying to post myself and me being me, more people started to come around and started to use the app. And that's how it all came about. I just realizing there's so many of us out there all over the world who is visually impaired, legally blind, using a mm -hmm. white cane. So it's um yeah. yeah, it's just wild how everything turned out and I started to learn that um, I'm more than just being legally blind. And I want to show that people like me, people with disabilities can also be more than, you know, we're more than just our disabilities. We're, we're for example, I'm a mom, I'm a girlfriend, I'm a sister. I love many different things and I'm capable of many different things. Mm -hmm. And that's why I use this platform now to show that we are just everything. We could do everything. And how do you do that? How do you post? Like, what do you post specifically that shows people, um, yes, of course, you're seeing the angle of me being a, a person with a white cane and a person with a vision impairment, but here is everything else that I am. You know what I learned? Um, it's like a little diary for me. Um, whatever I feel like I'm in that mood or that vibe that I'm going, whatever I'm going through, I just share it. Um, if it's outside of working with brands, I like to just share a little bit of what I'm feeling, whether it's good or whether it's bad. So it all just depends on what that day brings. And if I feel like sharing something with what I'm feeling or my thoughts, I just share it. And that's the power of able to share your story on social media is because someone is always out there listening and reading mm -hmm. whatever you're writing and somehow someone is able to connect with just what you write and what you share. Yeah. And that's how, I mean, I connected with other different people, you know, and just by what they're writing or what they're sharing. And that's why I always that's say, great. share your thoughts. Yeah. Because these are the with real that, things that we all go through. With them sharing their thoughts, how much of that then ends up for you maybe being part of what you want to post about yourself and those connections that you, you you make with the people out there. And how often would you say that inspired you to maybe post something that's kind of related because you and someone else have said, yeah, I'm going through the same thing or I did. And, and this is what, what I experienced. It's so wild because um, for me, it's more so my, my overall life journey right now. I mean, yes, I am a legally blind woman, but I'm also grieving. I'm, I share mo motherhood stuff. And whatever that day brings, I just like to share it. And 
someone out there, whether it's regarding my disability, I can relate to what they're sharing or they can relate to what I'm sharing. And I guess that's what the beauty of this whole, the positive outcome of social media. So For sure. yeah, that's, if that makes any sense, it just all depends oh, yeah. on what I feel, what I, yeah. when I wake up or yeah, I'm yeah. just going through so much. <laughs> Well, it's, it's the word you used earlier, I think, diary, that um, I think you used it, or at least I used it in my head, when, when you're like, you know, posting about whatever's on your mind, whatever you're going through candidly throughout the day. And that gives people the relatability factor. And I'm curious, do you get taken aback by how many followers you have, thinking, wow, this is a big number? Or maybe the opposite, you're like, no, I need to blow up even more to, to get this message out there. You know what? Um... I'm not really into the following count. Um, I always said when I started the platform, um, I'm just here to really just help somebody out because I felt very alone when social media wasn't even a big thing mm. when I was just recently diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa. So I still stand to this day where I don't really care about blowing up or the following count. If it happens, it happens. If I get connected with more opportunities, that's amazing. Sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. But for me, it's all about able to really help somebody out because I remember those dark times when I couldn't even really talk to anybody. I couldn't relate to anybody because it was so hard to really know what's out there, who's out there because social media wasn't a big thing yet. And, you know, not realizing that there are a lot of support groups around where I am, but it's different. It's different to really see somebody going through what I'm going through, whether that's, being legally blind or whether it's motherhood stuff or the grieving aspect of my life. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I'm all about, as long as somebody's out there listening to me, if it's just one person and I'm able to help you out and inspire you, then I did a good job and I did the right thing that day. And it's a win for me. Yeah. Well, and for anyone listening to you or, or the things you take into, because it's that power of sharing, that's pretty tremendous. Have you ventured to other social media platforms since you've been out there and uh, now, you know, doing sharing and doing so well? Is there any you ventured to or going to or plan to? Well, I have a YouTube account because I did um, a project with the, uh, Fighting Blindness America I, that that hasn't been touched in years. Only, I only posted videos because of that project. But now everybody's in that TikTok mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's already so hard to navigate one platform. And I'm I nobody really knows this, but I created a TikTok, which I don't know when I'm gonna post stuff there, <laughs> but I'm still scrolling through the phone and trying to figure out how do I do this. But I do have a TikTok <laughs> account. It's not a, it's not really alive yet but i'm getting there <laughs> everyone's in this tiktok phase <laughs> it's interesting and eventually you'll wake up the giant the sleeping giant yeah. that's for sure i know it's interesting it's so that you mentioned that right because as a content creator and as a person with a disability there's a lot more to just posting on three four platforms simultaneously than to just uh you know hit post <laughs> there's a lot of as no, you said navigation so involved not many realize that it's a, you know, I mean, when you look at your phone, sometimes it's like, it's so hard to read. And sometimes I haven't even really checked out how TikTok works in terms of accessibility, if mm -hmm. the font or so on will be big enough for me to see. So I'm just happy with one platform right now. We'll see how it goes. But I don't know, everything's on social, so I got to keep up, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> 
Oh, well, uh, we'd say you're doing a good job. Um, yeah. Before we get any further, though, where can people find you? Well, you can find me just on Instagram. Um, my handle is Atemara. It's spells, spelled A-T-E-M-A-R-A. If people don't know, um, Ate in the Philippine language means big sister. So it's, uh, it seems like it's eight Mara, but it's not eight. It's Atemara. And yeah, I'm a big sister. I'm a big sister to everybody. And, you know, I'm a friend. And I just want everyone to know that you could always reach me. And if whether it's my, our disabilities or just regular life stuff, I'm always here. So that's what the platform so is for. Got to ask if anything in particular that you want to maybe, well, we have a couple of sex here, to mention that really moved you or really made a difference, especially you've referred to a couple of times to those really dark times after diagnosis and through life, that doing this and and the sharing and what you've, you've demonstrated and what you've heard back from people, is there anything you can point to as that moment of really helping yourself and this doing this kind of thing to move yourself forward that, you know, people should know about? You know what? I've met two friends that really stick out years ago and we're still friends to this day um just to be able to say mara you helped me at my my darkest times and i when i wanted to give up and when i see them now like thriving one of them just finished you know graduated from university and now building their own family because i have a family and for me it's those words where you helped me like you legit saved my life because when I see you doing what you're doing, motherhood and being just a regular, you know, your regular self and making mm-hmm. things happen with your life, I know I can do it too. That to me is the most rewarding part of why this platform is where it's at and able to still do everything in this world that we're meant to do. Yeah. And yeah. that will forever be cherished. And along the ways, I've met so many incredible people from all over the world who said, you saved my life when really, I feel like you, they saved my life because I feel like I have a purpose outside of just being a wife and a mom and a girlfriend. You know, I'm here as a friend, able to help everybody out. Yeah. So Beautiful. yeah, that's, I know. And I, I, I'm so thankful for where the platform has obviously taken me and the friendships that I've built all over the world. So. And, and this is why, like, these are the things we love about social media. You know, this is why we can say, well, after it all, at the end of the day, you can gain so much connection with people and that one post can hit you there, like exactly where you're talking about and make you feel grateful. Mara, thank you for joining us on the show today. It was really beautiful talking to you. Guys, thank you for everything. You guys are awesome. You too. (laughs) Keep doing what you're doing. We'll chat with you soon. Thank you. We were speaking with social media influencer Mara Hutchinson. And if you want to check her out on Instagram, that's where she's most active. Atemara, A-T-E-M-A-R-A, is her handle. And we were talking at the top of the segment with her as well about her appearance on We Are One, available on AMI-tv, that you can check out on the app as well. In the next hour of Kelly and Ramia. We're talking to a couple different people. Uh, Partially cited athlete David Johnson is joining us on the show. He's released a documentary series on his, like, experiences being a track and field athlete. We're going to talk to him more about that. We're reviewing Misery by Stephen King with the recommender of this month's book, Jacob Shymansky. 
But after the break, we're checking in with Kim Thistle from St. John's, Newfoundland, our community reporter on everything going on over there. We'll be right back. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramya Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.